This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution. That will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. some intangibles that those projections failed to take into consideration. The crowd was going crazy. There's not much in life that's better than that. You're listening to Garlic Fries and Baseball Guys on the 95.7 The Game Podcast Network. Hello there. Welcome back to the Garlic Fries and Baseball Guys podcast. Sam Lubman here with Joe Shasky, as always, here for episode 73 of the podcast. 73, Shasky, did you know that Patrick Bailey has struck out 73 times this season? No, I thought you were going to go Barry Bonds 73. I was. No, Barry Bonds at 73 was pretty cool. But I'm going to go with Patrick Bailey 73 because he <laughs> did not strike out in the bottom of the fifth inning last night against the Braves. Had a bases clearing double. Uh, so it was the Giants' first, like, three-run double or something since, like, the beginning of the season or some ridiculous long time ago moment like that. But, uh, yeah, he did not get that. Uh, he got the double last night, put the Giants up 6-3. to three, And... Uh, seems like the, the Giants' official slogan this year is nothing like it, but I feel like the unofficial slogan has to be, thank God for Patrick Bailey. Because how many times are we starting off this podcast talking about something that Patrick Bailey did that basically saved our mood from the past week? Yeah, it's, I mean, that's there's no doubt about it. I mean, Patrick Bailey, if we were looking at one thing to point to in terms of optimism, uh, just in the, in the regime, in where we're at, um, what they can build with moving forward, it has to be number 14, Patrick Bailey. It really has been. No, again, it's like every week we're talking about something amazing that he did, whether it's a walk-off home run or a guy he threw out or a big hit he got against the Braves last night. He really has been the the, the crown jewel of this giant season. And it is a, a credit to uh, this organization and to Farhan Zaidi, who I really want to talk about really quick. Um because obviously, yeah, we, we didn't record last week. Uh, I was on vacation last week. I was up at uh, In Point Ray, staying at uh, my family's place in Inverness. And uh, didn't have a laptop. I forgot my charger, so I couldn't really browse on the internet as much. So I had to do a lot of thinking. And uh, spent a lot of time thinking about the Giants and kind of where things are at right now. And kind of where things are at with Farhan Zaidi. And I want to start off this podcast really kind of diving into some of my thoughts here. So I'm going to kind of go on a bit of a monologue here. Um based kind of where things are at and kind of why I was really in on Farhan for a while and why things are kind of changing there. So before you, before you begin. Yeah. It's pretty, pretty crappy month of Giants baseball. It's been one of the crappier months in a long time. I really cannot remember. You know, I actually can remember a month that was uh, just as crappy and it brings me back to kind of how I want to start this thing, which was that last crappy month Okay, was September of 2018. And that's kind of where I want to start this thing because 
back at 20 at the end of 2018, the Giants really felt like they were a million miles behind the rest of the league. You know, like all of Major League Baseball is in fast forward, and the Giants were like in rewind. You go back and look at the offensive numbers from that 2018 season, and if the Giants weren't in last place in a category, they were either you know second or third worst in the league. And I'll always remember the, the second to last day of that 2018 season. I had to work on that last day. That second to last day of that 2018 season, uh, my friend and I, we were at the, the Giants-Dodgers game that day at Oracle Park. The, Giant, the, the Giants lost 10 to 6. It felt way worse than that. And I remember sitting, I was sitting in the view level, looking out towards center field, and it, we were Dodger Stadium North that day. I'm looking out at that behind that 421 sign, you know, it's the 415 sign, and it was that whole stupid Pantone 244 Colt taking over out there. And the Giants lost, and there's more cheering than booing. And it just felt like this is rock bottom. This team is lost. It's old. They're going nowhere. They look like they have no idea what they're doing out there. Something needs to change. And you look at the Dodgers, and they really had everything that we as Giants fans could have wanted. They had superstar players. They had a farm system cranking out players. They just they looked like they were never going to be bad again. The term I always used for them was they were a death star. They still are a death star. And the Giants needed to catch up. And I thought they made the right move to do so when they hired Farhan Zaidi. It, it really, at the time, it really felt like a home run hire when the Giants brought him in. You know, like, like if Andrew Friedman is, is Grand Moff Tarkin on the Death Star, then Farhan Zaidi was, was Orson Krennic. You know, the guy who helped build the Death Star in Rogue One. You know, like there's, there's only two right, guys. Time out. Time you know, out. That's what I'm going with there. There's time out. Krennic was such a better villain than whatever Farhan's been as a GM. But well, I get the analogy. You get my analogy. You know, like, like, like Tarkin Krennic was a great bad star. guy. Krennic was helping out Tarkin set that Death Star up. I don't know. Maybe Krennic gets more of the, the, the credit that he deserves or less. You know who I would say he is? He's Darth Maul. A lot of hype, looked cool, and then got sliced in half before the movie even started. And we saw him for five Almost minutes. At the end. <laughs> but no, I, I, that's a good one there, too. That's a good one there, too. But Keep I'm going, going with, get him. I'm going get with the Tarkin Krennic comparison because if there's really only two guys in the galaxy who know how to build a Death Star, Friedman was one of them and <laughs> Farhan Zaidi was the other. So it just made sense. If you want to build a Death Star, get a guy who knows how to build a step Death Star. And the reason why I was so excited about Farhan coming to the Giants was because he really came from this background of building up through the farm system and creating a long-term sustainable template of, of winning, much like the Dodgers had. You know, and you don't let your stars walk. But even if you do, you have guys to back them up. It's why the Dodgers let guys like a Cody Bellinger or Corey Seager go because they got like guys like James Outman or Gavin Lux, who again injured this year, coming up behind them. And so that was that was what I was excited for with Farhan. He was going to be bringing that mentality to the Giants because for the most part, the Giants, it just they had a run from 2007 to 2011 where they were drafting really well. But it, overall, the Giants, they weren't drafting at the level I thought the Dodgers were. Consider this, Shasky. It took Farhan Zaidi four and a half years after coming here to draft, develop, and debut a guy who we're all looking at and being like, whoa, this guy could be a dude. Of course, I'm talking about Patrick Bailey in that sense. It took nine years for Brian Sabian to do that same thing where he could draft, develop, and debut a guy who we all looked at as, a, as whoa, this guy could be a dude. And there I'm talking about Matt Cain. He drafted Cain in 2002. Had, you know, kind of had his, his cameo in 05, but really kind of hit the scene in 06. And that's where we realized we got something special here with this guy. So basically it took five and a half years for Sabian even to get to Matt Cain. And in that time, Farhan's already brought a guy up who we feel like we can build this team around. And on top of Patrick Bailey, there's like two or three other guys coming up through the system who we're also looking at as like, ooh, they could be kind of cornerstones for this team. 
And I'll be honest, like I honestly think that Sfarhan so far has done a better job in the early going at, at drafting talent, finding talent in the draft than Brian Sabian did. Again, not taken away from the run that Sabian had, but on the whole so far, I think Farhan has done a little bit better here. You know, for example, Shasky, I'm going to name a bunch of players here. I want you to tell me which one you would rather have based off what you saw from them in their careers. Todd Linden, Todd Linden, Dan Ortmeyer, Gary Brown, Chris Shaw, Luis Matos, Jared Parker, Mac Williamson. If you take one of those guys based on what you saw from them, who, who would you take? Mac Williamson, Todd Linden, who? Jarrett Parker, Luis Matos, Chris Shaw, Gary Brown, or Dan Wartmeyer? Well, I think it's easy to say Matos because we've only seen like two months of him. Like, that's who I'm going to roll with. But I, I mean, who knows? But no, but I mean, that kind of goes into my point, though. Luis Matos is far from a finished product right now. I think we can agree on that. Yeah, we, we already feel better about Luis Matos as an unfinished product than we ever did about any of the finished products that we saw the Giants bring up under Brian but, Sabian. Wait a minute, like, wait a minute. Is there only one way to build a team? Like, Brian Sabian traded a, an established great player for the Giants in Matt Williams and got one of the greatest second baseman hitters in the last 50 years in Jeff Kent. Got a setup man in Julian Tavares. Got a lefty in Jim Poole. Doesn't he get credit for that? No, he absolutely does. But the reason he made that trade is because he had Barry Bonds to build around. Like, imagine if, if Barry Bonds had like asked out of the Giants after that 96 season, then maybe like the Giants traded him and then hired Brian Sabian, and Sabian had to come here and didn't have Bonds to build around. Like, it's a completely different story that we're talking about with Sabian, where he would have probably had to rebuild the Giants through the draft. But he had a situation where back-to-back last-place seasons coming in, you have this absolute temple of a baseball player that you can build around. It makes kind of rebuilding a team a lot easier when you have a guy like a Barry Bonds that okay. Farhan has never really had to operate with. And that okay. kind of gets to do, like when drafting to to stock this team up, Farhan has already done more to end the outfielder, you know, the 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 all-star outfielder drought than Brian Sabian ever did. And there's a lot of other great uh, uh, outfielders that he's got along here, along with uh, Marco Luciano, along with Kyle Harrison. You also got the Vaughn Browns, the Grant McCrays, and, you know, the Wade Mecklers, Heliot Ramos. So many great, young, talented guys who are either going to be all-stars or really good, valuable role players. Or some of these guys might get traded for a future star at some point. You know, the, the fact of the matter is, the Giants look like an organization that is well-positioned to find, draft, develop, and debut talent uh, and, and have a roster full of homegrown players for quite a while. But here's where the problem arises. While I have little reason to doubt the ability of Farhan to really kind of find these talented players within the draft and build a team with them, I'm really doubting their strategy on how they want to win baseball games. You know, there's a lot of frustrations to be made about the opener, opener and the platoons, the inconsistent lineups. You know, while the opener has its uses, I look at the opener as kind of like a, a spare tire. It'll get you to where you need to go, provided that where you need to go is within 50 miles and where you're going is also a tire repair shop to get a new tire put on. <laughs> and you're going at least 50 miles, you know, along the way. But if you're just driving around with a spare tire all the time, like, I'm sorry, you look like an idiot if you do that. It's bad for your car. It's just not, it's not a long-term option. And the Giants trying to use the opener as a long-term option, thinking that they can actually win baseball games with it consistently. Like for a little bit, yes. Long-term, no, I don't agree with that strategy. You know, and I could tolerate these kind of strategies if they felt like they were out of circumstance. You know, like if the platooning was a result of just you need to do this, if the inconsistent lineup was because you have to do this. But I think this is just how 
Farhan really believes you can win baseball games. You know, he said he really liked this team's pitching depth back at the All-Star break. I didn't understand how he could possibly say that. Was he <laughs> posturing to kind of lessen the excitement for the over a potential dead deadline deal? Or is he being actually serious here? But if there was no deal, and this is where I really started to go south on Farhan, is when he said that and then didn't make a deal at the trade deadline. You know, if there was no deal to be had, that's one thing. But I feel like there were deals to be had. And basically, though, if you truly believe that this roster could make a playoff run, you would have made a move. Like I am a little old school in the fact that if a team plays well enough to make a playoff run, the general manager should reward that team by upgrading that team to make that playoff run easier to achieve and more feasible. And when you don't do that, you can't say, oh, it's because we believe in the guys we have. No, you believe in the guys you have by dipping into your prospect capital and adding to the team that you have to show these guys, hey, I believe in you guys. This guy's going to help get you guys to where I believe you can go. And when you don't do that, I think you send the exact opposite message to your team. And before you go, I'm going to let you cook. I'm going to let you cook. Since the All-Star break, they have lost two out of three in six consecutive series, the Angels, the Rangers, Tampa, at, at Atlanta, at Philadelphia, Atlanta at home, and you can add in a two-game sweep by the A's. The Giants are 6-14 in their last 20, and four of those six wins came in the Giants' last at-bat. They have not had back-to-back wins. No, they have not. The 2nd of August, the 2nd, uh, the 3rd of August. Yeah, that the is Diamondback series. A month. They have gone a month without... Back to back streak. It's insane. No, it's insane. And I think it's not a coincidence. Since the deadline. I think you could trade. I think it's no coincidence. You could trace it back to the trade deadline that when these things start to fall apart, if they're expecting reinforcements, then Farhan doesn't come through. Yeah. That's going to kind of piss me off as a player. And this is where I think the presence of Andrew Freeman really loomed large for the Dodgers. Now it's impossible to really know exactly how much Farhan, you know, was involved in the Dodgers day-to-day operations versus Friedman or Coletti or anyone else within that organization. But everybody with the Dodgers always raves about how great Farhan was and how creative he was and how great his ideas were. But it was Andrew Freeman who was making that final call and everything, which means that there were times when Farhan probably had an idea and Freeman said something like, hey, that's a great idea, Farhan, but we're going to go with this idea instead, which means some of Farhan's maybe not as great ideas were left on the cutting room floor that, you know, it were, were left on the cutting room floor down in L.A. But now the Giants are at the mercy of these baseball strategies that Farhan is convinced will work that maybe once upon a time were left on the cutting room floor down in L.A., but are now being implemented here in San Francisco. And it makes me believe that Farhan, I mean, I don't think he's a Batman. I think he's more of a Robin. If Friedman's a Batman, you know, Farhan is Robin. Use a lot of, you know, uh, comparisons here. Farhan, he's Robin. He's Krennic. He's a lot of guys. But what he's universe also, am I in right now? You're in a lot of different universes, but you're also in the universe where Farhan is his own worst enemy. Like, this is a man who is very committed to his plan to build up this roster and win baseball games. Almost a little too committed. You know, you have to be ready to make adjustments to your strategy and he just really seems reluctant to do so. You know, you you can't be the smartest man in baseball, but not make adjustments because smart people adjust to new information. You know, Bob Myers, John Lynch, they had plans of how they wanted to win uh, win games. But then Steph Curry broke his hand, and so Bob had to adjust. What do we do? Let's get D'Angelo Russell, flip him for Andrew Wiggins. John Lynch, he wants to win, but he can't really seem to figure out a quarterback. What do we do? Well, let's adjust. We'll bring in Christian McCaffrey and kind of offset things there. You just don't see that really happen with Farhan. Like, I look back to the 2021 offseason after winning 107 wins, 107 games, and they had a chance to either add Marcus Simeon or Corey Seager, 
And Farhan decided to sit back and be like, nah, man, it's all good. We got Crawford and Tyro Estrada, which I'm not against either one of those guys, but I'd rather have Marcus Simeon over both of those guys if we're being real here. Bring the local kid back, get some thumping in this lineup, get some star power into this lineup. But he sat back and did nothing because he is committed to doing his plan his way. And it's why now I am out on Farhan as wait. the president of basketball, baseball operations for wait, the Giants. Wait, wait. Yes. Say here's that your, again. Wait, wait, wait. Here's your breaking you're news cooking. story. You're breaking news sounder. Sam Lubman is out on Farhan's idea at this moment because it's just, it's become apparent that his ability to find talent is great. I have no doubt in his ability to find great baseball players and add them to this roster, but I just have a hard time believing it's going to lead to wins because there is a fundamental way to win baseball games that still matters. And the Giants are taking an approach that suggests that they can create their own rules and fundamentals. And that's just not how it happens. You know, like you could point at his mentor, Billy Bean, and saying, well, he went through something similar in how he tried to recreate the game with, you know, implementing that money ball philosophy. Here's the thing, though. One, Billy Bean saw success right away implementing his money ball philosophy. And two, that really was not that much of a money ball team back in 2002 because you had three stud pitchers in Zito, Mulder, and Hudson, as well as guys like Miguel Tejado and Eric Chavez in your lineup. You know, so... To say that, you know, Farhan's trying to recreate the game, it's, it's just not really what's going on here. What he's trying to do is he's he's implementing this philosophy of winning baseball games that it's not just failing to win baseball games, it's it's failing the players too. You're putting out, you're not putting players in a situation to succeed, and you're creating a situation where players just don't want to come play here. Players don't want to be a part of this because they look at what's going on and they see this is a guy who's implementing a strategy that's going to st- take this team nowhere really fast. You know, hitters want to know what their roles are. And right now when the lineup is posted, it's it's like a little league team rushing to go see where they're going to be hitting in the lineup. Even your dog agrees he can't handle it. So it's just some some guys can be swing men. Not everyone can. It's the same thing with the pitching staff. Some pitchers can be swing men. Not everyone can. You cannot have an entire pitching staff full of swing men. But that's the way the Giants are trying to win baseball games right now, and it's just not working. Maybe they break through and make a playoff run this year or next year, and sure, that'll be fun, but but then what? Do you really trust Farhan Zaidi to upgrade this team when it needs to be upgraded? Sure, this team might be competitive at times. They'll win more baseball games than they can win or lose, and they'll give Larry Bear his dream of having those competitive games in September. But as long as Farhan Zaidi is operating the strategy to win baseball games, I just can't stand by and support him leading this team. You know, maybe things change. Maybe he adapts, evolves, and changes his tune and how to win. I just don't see it happening. You know, they're they're trying to win with principles that he's had for years. And yeah, I just I have little faith in them working now or down the line. So I don't think Farhan is the guy. And if the Giants do choose to move off him after this offseason, I'd be down with that. You know, I'm what not they, say- like, let me ask you this. Let me ask yeah. you this. Let me let me let me cut you off. As my dogs went crazy, and I apologize for those on the podcast. The mailman showed up. Um, boil it down to one thing. What's the most frustrating part of the Farhan Zaidi experience in San Francisco for you? The thing that maybe you overrated heading into it, or you expect would be farther along. Like, what, what's is it a strategy that yeah, no, what's me, your number one frustration? Me, it's the wasted promise. Like when he got here, we, we, we talked about this a few weeks ago. Like when Farhan came here, it felt like this is the birth of a new era of Giants baseball. Like it felt like the Giants were accepting that they were behind the times and needed to catch up with the rest of the league. Now, I know you have your, your qualms with data and baseball, but data is here to stay. People are going to be using data and analytics to make baseball decisions. 
but there's a line. And whereas if the Giants maybe weren't too analytically focused under Sabian, Evans, and Bochi, it's almost like they tried to overcorrect with Farhan and Kapler. And it's almost like now they're too analytically driven and they've lost their feel of the game. Like, that's the thing. It's the, it's the disappointment of you have guys so smart, yet so clueless at the same time. Well, last Kapler, week, last yeah. week's a great example. Wade Meckler is just, and, and look, he's played a lot better the last week or so. But last week, he's ice cold. I mean, I'm talking ice cold. And then coming out of the Atlanta series, you bring back up Matos after he's been gone for a week down in AAA. He goes two for five with a home run and looks good and puts together five good at-bats. You think he's in the lineup the next day? And that's no. the kind of that's the kind of nonsense that little bits here and there, that's fine. But it's all the time, though. It's just it's getting to the point where it's just in where the players are just they, they it feels like they've had enough. I'm at the Atlanta series this weekend. And I'm watching a team that's going through the motions. I'm watching Tyro Estrada swing first pitch popping up. I'm watching Jock Peterson half-ass his at-bats in the ninth inning. And then so I, I had to go into the Braves clubhouse and get sound for our Atlanta affiliate 680, the fan. And I'm listening to Brian Snitker talk. And I'm like, this is a dude who has such a great feel for his team and what his team can do. On Saturday, post-game, we're talking to Austin Riley. And he's talking about how guys are holding each other accountable, really pushing each other, and how, you know, when the team like the Giants uses the opener, they just focus on their own strengths instead of worrying about what the Giants are doing. You don't see any of that in the Giants clubhouse. You don't see any, like, I don't feel like Gabe Kapler really has a feel for this club anymore. And I honestly, like, I, I, I resisted this, this, this theory last year, but I'm kind of falling into it this year. I feel like Gabe Kapler's lost this clubhouse. I really do. I feel like the message isn't sticking anymore and guys are just going to be playing out the string trying to, to get to 2024. It sure feels like me. He's defeated in these post-game interviews. He really um, is. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I actually feel for Kapler. I, I don't think that, uh, I don't think he's the fall guy. I mean, I think he's being set up to be the fall guy. I don't think he's the reason why this team is, is, you know, underperforming as it, as it is right now. To me, the bigger issue is the roster. Like, what, what's the direction? Like, Yaz, okay, I'm listening. Yaz might come back. For what? He's 33. Or I don't get Hanniger back him. in the lineup too soon. What? Or you get Hanniger back in the lineup soon too. So we're good there. For what? Yeah. For who? I, I assume he's going to play well at baseball. I don't know. I've yet to see it. But, yeah, that's where it's at the point. It's, it, I always said coming into this year, I want to feel better about the Giants at the end of 23 than I did the beginning. For the most part of this year, I have been. Now it's at the point where it's just like this team really feels like a, a ship without a rudder. Yeah. It's like they're, they're, they're stuck in these becalmed waters with nowhere to go. And they're, they're so hell-bent on these baseball philosophies that just don't translate to wins. And I don't think he's going to adjust to these, these strategies at all. And that's what it's going to get us in this kind of purgatory loop here with the Giants. And that's just that's just not a sustainable model. You know, I found this column that uh, Andy McCullough wrote way back in 2017 about how Farhan became such a sought after executive. And there was one paragraph that really kind of stuck out to me. It said, like Friedman, Zaidi treasures flexibility. In conversations with Dave Roberts, he has debated the wisdom of rigid roles for relievers and a static batting order for hitters. The deployment of players, Roberts came to believe, should involve a daily assessment of the situation rather than an ironclad pattern. This is back in March of 2017 that this was written about Farhan. This is how he's always felt about baseball. But and these are some of the ideas of my projection. So this mm -hmm. is one of, and you got yeah. mad at me when I brought this up. When you haven't played at any level, I don't think you understand the emotional and psychological tool. Would you stop it? God, my dogs are driving me nuts. Knowing that you're going to bat third 
and play right field every day means something. Knowing that you're the seventh hitter and the second baseman every single day means mm-hmm. something. And there's something to be said for the psychological stability that that provides. Knowing that, hey, even if I go over for 4 today, I know tomorrow I'm going to be in the lineup no matter what. Not the, oh, here comes a righty looking over my shoulder, looking over my shoulder. It's Am not a stable there. No, you're right. And like, it's really, I, I'm telling you, dude, the game is played by humans. And I feel like we're reverting back to old school baseball. Look at who's at the top of every division, Texas, Houston, Philly, Atlanta, you know, they're, you know like Atlanta, old school principles. You really are seeing. And what I think kind of what happened was at the end of 2018, I mean, everyone was hitting home runs in 2018. You look around the league, everyone had like three, four, 20 home run yes. guys. And the 2018 giants were led by Evan Longoria, 16 home runs. So, I mean, everyone was doing something different. Now, I know that the ball was juiced back in 2018. Home runs were a lot easier. Launch angle was big. It felt like the Giants were trying to catch up to that and kind of get into that long ball ethos. But now you're seeing it's the, the league is. It, it, it's shifting back to more of a putting the ball in play, yes. less focus on power. And it's like the Giants finally catch up to the rest of the league is doing, only to see that the league is basically kind of regressing back to what the Giants were kind of doing when Bruce Bochy was here. Yeah. It's, it's kind of ironic in a sense and unfortunate but this is where you need to see Farhan make those adjustments. And based on what I've been reading and seeing, the, the guy, he seems so hell-bent on proving everybody right that his way works, that you're going to drive this team into the ground to do it. It's, it's just you want to you know burn down the city just so you can rule over the ashes, just to show <laughs> that you were right. And it's like, no, that's not how you win baseball games. And this is why this fan base, and now me, is completely out on Farhan's ID right now. Wow, I'm I'm like shocked. So, which direction are we going in? Where, what I really do you want? I really don't know what the direction is right now for this team because I do think that a playoff appearance is still theoretically possible. Legally, you can say they are in the playoff hunt right now. I do think they'll still win more games than they lose this year because again, there's still talent on this roster. It's just being utilized poorly. So that talent's going to help you win games. It's almost like a battle of talent versus strategy. I honestly wonder, I think the Giants are going to extend Kapler and Farhan, and we're uh-huh. going to have to go through four more years of this nonsense. Or they're just going to get fired after next year because this is this is not sustainable. The only thing I'll allow for, and this is why I'm not going to call for Farhan to be fired, um, one, because I don't think it, me- it matters anything. I know Larry Bear is a, a passionate listener to this podcast, but he's not going to be saying, you know, oh, well, if I've lost Sam Lubman, then I've lost everybody. Like that, That's not going to do anything. But I do want to allow for the, the miracle that Farhan Zaidi, after the season, looks in the mirror and says, I need to change. And if that happens, then I think there's hope. If it doesn't, I think this time next year or this at the end of next year, we're wondering who the next president of baseball oper- of, of operations is for, for the Giants. I think it's very unlikely he gets fired this offseason. If, if things don't change next year, though, then I think you're, we're looking at a very different story there. Any last thoughts before we move on there, Shasky? I think they're completely cleaning house. I think here's the thing, though, if we one of the reasons why I was against a Farhan firing is I didn't really want to see this team have to start over again. But here's the thing. If they if this season ends and they fire Farhan and Kapler that first week of October, whoever they bring in to replace them, you're going to have far from an empty cupboard to work with. you got a lot of great talent in the upper minors right now and a lot of payroll room going forward. And you have Sam. a picture in the rotation in Logan Webb. So if they did clean house with this front office, whoever comes in next, you have a very uh, attractive plate to work Sam, with. Sam, the way we looked at Mike Nolan before Harbaugh came in, oh, Mike Nolan's an idiot. Then Harbaugh came. I was like, you know what? Some of the guys that he drafted, uh, you know, they just maybe didn't hit their full potential with him, but but he had a pretty good eye for talent, him and McLuhan. 
but like he wasn't the right guy to lead them to the next chapter. I feel a lot like that situation here. Like I yeah. do think Kapler has some guy or Kapler Farhan has some guys in the system that can be good. They need the right situation behind them and they need the right people in that dugout who are going to allow them to struggle and stay in the lineup. Yeah, I do think Farhan Zaidi has a place in this game. I mean, he's been in the game for 20 years. You can't be in the game for this long if you don't know anything. I agree. I just he he does have value to bring. I just don't think he has value to bring as the main shot caller here. So yes. let's end this segment. One of the longest segments in garlic fries and baseball guys history. You. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply are listening to the Garlic Fries and Baseball Guys podcast. Sam Lubman and Joe Shasky coming at you every week with all the best Giants content. We'll keep it real with you no matter what, whether we like Farhan or we don't, because that's what we do. Like, listen, subscribe, 95.7 Aussie Sports Network. So Shasky, over the weekend on Sunday evening, before the Giants took the field against the Braves, Tyro Estrada uh, got up in front of the dugout and uh, with the help of an interpreter, gave an impassionate speech to the clubhouse, basically saying, hey, we can play better than this. We can play like we did earlier in this season, you know, and uh, Tristan Beck was asked about it. Beck who went like four and a third perfect to start the game or something last night against the Braves. Finally got a start to uh, Tristan Beck against the team that traded him away. And Tristan Beck said, you know, is a he Estrada. He's a guy who I look up to on this team. When he speaks, it carries a lot of weight. And basically Estrada's message was let's play like a team, take that extra base. And, he is an add-on basically play like Tyro Estrada and to me, Tyra been guys, one of my favorite players the last two years, he really has. He's been, an, he's been an incredible bright, bright spot every day. Again, would I like to have Marcus Simeon over him? Yes, probably, but that's not a knock on Tyro Estrada. Tyro has been one of the few bright spots yes. for this team. And yeah. I really love the fact that he's really stepping up and showing this leadership because I mean, I know Logan Webb is one of the leaders on this team, but he's not a vocal leader. Mike Yastrzemski is one of the guys that people on this team rally behind. But it's kind of hard when you're injured and you're not in the lineup every day. I, I think Jock Peterson's looked at as a leadership type guy in this clubhouse. But and this kind of goes back to what I heard from Austin Riley over the weekend. It's like you have this kind of leadership in the clubhouse, but like how deep does it go? Who's holding guys in this clubhouse accountable? And I think one of the big knocks I think you can have on this Giants team is just yeah, there, there's there's guys who are leaders, but there's no guys who are really leading, if that yeah. makes sense. Well, and that's why I appreciate Tyro Estrada being so up out front vocal. He, he's been a catalyst offensively, and I think he's gotten a lot better defensively. How about that play where Alexander is going to go cover and the first baseman throws yeah. to Alexander and Alexander whips it to Estrada. Estrada covers first base. So awkward. And then throws home and gets the guy on the double play slat, trying to steal home. Yeah, it's like a Savannah home. banana double play. Yeah, it was. <laughs> it was a lot of it was a cool, cool, aware play by the kid. I, I just think. If you're looking for somebody who plays the game the right way and is fun, Estrada's that guy. But he, mm -hmm. he's not he's not sexy enough for people to understand that if you're not paying attention every day. Yeah, and I, he really is. Yeah, he he does the little things right. He's not going to wow you with his power, but I agree. Yeah, he puts the ball in play. He can take that extra base. I would love to see more guys like Tyro Estrada in this lineup because, yeah, he does play the game the right way. And I really hope that the Giants can allow him to keep doing that because he's a guy where the Giants – 
and this is where I get really frustrated with their philosophy again, is the hitting approach is so one-dimensional for this team. And it does not allow for any sort of two-strike adjustments. And I really hope they let Tyro continue to be the hitter that he is and not try to force him into taking these uppercut swings like they've done with Casey Schmidt, who, oh my God, it seems like they've completely screwed up his swing early on. Hopefully they can get that fixed. But yeah, a guy like Tyro Estrada taking up, standing up and taking that leadership position there, I love seeing that. I need to see more of that. I need to see guys like Logan Webb holding the rest of the team accountable. You guys like Yaz, I want to see that. I don't know if Yaz can though. I look at Jock Peterson, I mean, Jock, I mean, when he walks to the clubhouse, he's got this total I don't give a damn attitude, but not in the cool way. He literally looks like a guy who's like, I'm just trying to collect my 20 mil so I can go find a team to go to the playoffs with next year. And that's a guy that these guys on this team look at as a leader. The only thing Jock is the leader of is the postgame card games. Like it's and that's where just the whole culture of this clubhouse feels shot right now. It really does. And that's where it kind of goes into my whole thing about why I think Kapler's lost the clubhouse is you need veterans to kind of keep help keep things in line. It can't just all be on the manager. And you just don't see that. And when you see a guy like Tyro step up and we're thinking, oh, this is so great. It's such a, you know, a breath of fresh air. But like it shouldn't be this dire right now. And, and it's just it's. But, but yeah. What did you expect from this team this year? I feel like they've outperformed all my expectations. Like they're running out of pitching. I mean, they, Sam, they've got one and a half starters. They really do. I mean, maybe, maybe two with Kyle Harrison. We can get to him in a second. But no, I, I see yeah, your point. Cobb together make a second starter. Barely. I mean, <laughs> so what I mean, did you expect? expect? I mean, it's it's a miracle they're a game and a half out of a wild card spot. It really is. I don't know. Maybe I fell for the banana in the tailpipe earlier in this year with how well this team was playing in in, in May and June and July. I just refuse to believe that this team was as bad as they were in April. (laughs) Remember when they said at the beginning of the year, oh, they're going to hit a lot of home runs this year. They have 140 home runs, just like 20th in the league, and they just got taken two out of three from the number one home run team in baseball. It's supposed to be a power team. It's just everything once again has power. Hmm? But who on the team has I don't power? Know. I don't know who has power on this team. I really don't at this point. No one does. Conforto, maybe on a good day. Hanniger probably was supposed to have some power. But I want to get to this point. Like, <laughs> with this all being said, though, like you said, the Giants are a game and a half out of the wild card spot. They got the Reds in town this week, which is a huge series for that wild card. Absolutely. Tyro Estrada making this a passionate speech. Kyra reminds me of the speech that Edgar Renteria gave uh, back at Wrigley Field in 2010 before the Giants went on a run there to end the season. Shasky, is even worth hoping for a playoff run? Before you answer that question, in the final 33 games of last year, the Giants went 20 and 13 to finish 81 and 81. They have 32 games left this season, so add on last night's game, that would be 33 to the end of the year. If the Giants can go 20 and 13, that gets them at 86 wins, which is probably a playoff spot. The Giants will probably have to do that in September. Do you do you see that at all happening? No. Yeah. I mean, it's even worth. I just Sam. I, Sam. It's just not, I don't see it happening at all. I have zero faith in a playoff run right now. The Reds are coming up tonight. The Reds feel so energized. The, their two seasons could not feel more different, and they're in the same boat. The Reds have like four or five young players really, truly ascending and getting better. Did you see that throw from Ellie De La Cruz the other day? Throwing not the other day, but I mean, it's, I, I, you've seen enough of Ellie De La Cruz's throws to know how good he is. I don't even need to look at his batting average. I know he is an everyday player for that team. Oh, yeah. You're going to keep him in the same spot in the lineup, too. And then they got the third baseman and Carnacion, or I forget, is it in Carnacion? Whatever the guy's name, who's yeah. the local boy from Northern California. Like they're they're feeling good yeah, about they got Benson in the outfield. Yeah, you're feeling great about the Reds. They don't really, but I mean, like, and that's not to discount the Giants. The Giants have young guys to be excited about too. 
But not on that level. Not on that level, but it's also because the Reds are playing the game the way you're supposed to. The Giants have the, all these great, great, talented players, but they're making them play goofy baseball <laughs> that's not translating to wins. It's just like you're, you're pissing away the careers of these young, great players, and you're ruining them before they even get started. So, I mean, should this team – am I rooting – am I expecting this team to make the playoffs? No. Do I hope they go on a run here and maybe make the playoffs? Sure. I would love that. I'm not going to root against this team. Not, that, I feel I feel the same way. Like, well, I want to week when, who was the guy who called in the Willard and Dibs the other week and was like, I hope the Giants lose out the rest of the year just so they fire people. I'm not getting into that. I, I no, hate that kind no, of thinking. No. That's that's dumb. I'm not rooting for someone to for a team to lose just so someone gets fired. I no. hope they can make the playoffs. But here's the cool. problem. Trying to chase the playoffs, if Yaz is healthy, well, he's gonna get at bats over Wade Meckler, Ramos, and Matos. To me, exactly. that's like what are we doing? I think a plan the rest of the season is again. I like for instance the outfield. I want to see the rest of the year is I'll, I'll, I'll accept Hanniger and left. You got two more years of him. The Giants have no choice but to try and make it work with him. No, I, I think you got to trade him this offseason and eat a lot of that money. Probably, to. but for the rest of this year, you have to play Hanniger. I think you're just you're stuck with that. You have to because you're not going to be able to trade him if he's not playing. It's not even worth it. it. See, to me, I want to see Ramos, Matos, Meckler. That's the outfield. I want to see yeah. it. left, right, center, and yeah, then I mean, maybe Luciano. Yeah, I want to see Luciano too. I want to see young guys. I don't want to see Jock in the lineup anymore. I don't want to see Conforto in the lineup anymore. I've done. You. I've seen enough of Austin Slater. Yaz, if he wants to come off the bench every now and then, I'm cool with that. Around the infield, you know what? I want to see more Marco Luciano. Casey you know, Schmidt. I'll, let's let's get more Casey Schmidt in there. I don't Estrada. need to see any more. Like JD Davis does not need to be manning the hot has, corner has every Brandon day. Brandon Crawford played his last game. I think they bring him back to the last couple of weeks. He's he's not done with the Giants. He'll he'll get a he'll get his proper send off, and that's gonna be something to look forward to in September too because. As as brutal as this year's be as as this year has been as brutal as things are right now, I do believe Brandon Crawford does deserve a a proper hero send off, and I hope we are able to see that happen here in September. You are listening to the Garlic Fries and Baseball Guys podcast. Sam Lubman and Joe Shasky coming at you every week with all your best Giants content. Make sure you're liking, reviewing, subscribing, sharing, telling everybody about it because we got about a month left of this season, and there's definitely going to be lots of fun stuff to be talking about, as this episode is suggesting. Uh, all part of the Odyssey Sports Network here at 95.7 The Game. Before we get out of here, I want to just touch on a couple of uh, Giants pitchers. Uh, Kyle Harrison, Logan Webb. Just want to throw a couple thoughts here before we get out. Um, Kyle Harrison, he's starting tonight against the Reds. Uh, I haven't decided when I'm going to release this episode yet. Maybe it'll be in a minute. Maybe it'll be tomorrow morning. Uh, But either way, Kyle Harrison makes his home debut uh, tonight on Monday night, uh, August 28th, against the Reds. But he made his Major League debut in Philly last Tuesday. Shasky, what were your initial thoughts of uh, Kyle Harrison in his debut? I thought it looked good. I'm I'm, I'm excited for what I'm seeing from the young man. I mean, I know it's only a three-inning appearance, but... I think that the guy's got tremendous promise uh, for 21, 22 years old. Like what's not to like, I mean, he's a, he's a lefty who can sling it. And uh, the next thing, you know, I'm looking at him. He's got a nice fastball. He's got a nice slider. I think the changeup and slider both need a lot of work, but clearly to me, there's something to work with there. Is, is he the next bum Garner? Is he the next Andy pet? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I just want to see the kid pitch. I agree. You know, it's funny that you mentioned Bumgarner because, I mean, I'm, I'm horrible with player comps and maybe what I'm about to say is going to be proof positive of that. But when I watch Kyle Harrison pitch, I see a smaller version of Madison Bumgarner, especially with that three-quarter delivery, the way he kind of slings it around the side. I like, see that too. Yeah, like Madison Bumgarner, one of the best descriptions I've ever heard about Madison Bumgarner's delivery. It's almost like he's throwing around the side of a barn. And that was that kind of delivery like that. really tripped up Vladimir Guerrero in the 2010 World Series. It's the only like first time ever that he struck out three times against a left-handed pitcher. That's how good Bumgarner was in that series. 
But Harrison has a very similar delivery, slings the ball very well, can hit those upper 90s. Yeah, I'm very excited about Kyle Harrison, what he can do. And I do see a very a, a plus pitcher there who, along with him and Logan Webb, could be a very good one-two punch atop that rotation. One thing that's kind of interesting about what they're doing with, with Harrison here is how they're bringing him along innings-wise. Uh, he's only thrown five innings in the minors once. They do plan to kind of extend him a bit as they bring him up here. He threw 65 pitches in his first start. I asked Gabe Kapler about kind of what the plan is to current in terms of kind of extending him there. They are going to gradually kind of ramp him up. He always says, you know, Kapler's t- for, uh, uh, term he uses is the slow ramp up uh, mm-hmm. is what they're trying to do with Kyle Harrison. I don't know. What are your thoughts in terms of just kind of how they've been easing or, or managing Kyle Harrison's workload this year? I'm conflicted. I get you want to be careful with these guys' arms. Believe me, I really do. Like seeing Sean Hay get a second Tommy John or on deck to get a second Tommy John. Like I understand being scared, but like also you got to build up some callus, bro. Yeah. Like the guy pitched 67 innings or 66 innings and had, you know, 25 appearances. This is less than three innings in appearance. What are we doing? How does my, how does my 12 U team log more innings than Kyle Harrison? Like seriously. Well, Okay, I have a theory to that, and it's like, where I wait, real quick. Don't you have to spar to be ready to go to war? I agree with you, and I think it's the way they're doing it. I think looks weird, but I think, and this is where, as much as I I don't like Farhan's strategies, I do still trust his ability to develop talent. I think he's done a good job there, and I think this fits into that. You you, you remember back in 2012 when the Nationals had an innings cap on Steven Strasburg, and then he hit 150 yeah. innings, and like, nope, you're done. We don't care if we're in a divisional race. I feel like the Giants, they really looked at Kyle Harrison and said, hey, when we're in the playoff race in September, we want Kyle Harrison to help us, you know, kind of get over the finish line there. Yeah, but so they I need to complete like, the front end of the project. Stay in an NL West race. Well, that's, I'll get to that in a second. But you're, <laughs> you, you see where I'm going with this. But yes, I, think I do. Let's say if they, if they put 150 inning cap on Kyle Harrison this year, what the Nationals did was pitch Strasburg until he hits 150. Okay, you're done. That's it. No more. What I feel like the Giants tried to do, though, is I don't know what the actual innings cap was. I'm just using 150 as an example. But let's say if it was 150 innings, they wanted to make sure that that 150th inning came at the very end of September and not in like the third week of August like it did with the Nationals and Strasburg. Now, if that's the plan where they wanted to kind of space things out that way, I feel like that kind of makes a little bit more sense in terms of just trying to ex- develop him in that sense. See, but this is where I have a problem. Raw dad, oh, 150 innings. Well, what if they're all cruise innings? Like, what if they're all stress innings and guys are on base? Like, are all innings created equal? No. no. We see seven pitch innings. We see 28 pitch innings. We see 33 pitch innings, 14 pitch innings. Like, that matters more than anything. Like I, I would ask this and I would love to hear Kapler's thoughts on this. When you're coming up with innings or pitch limits on guys, is that determining how many fastballs, how many sliders, how many changeups? Like what goes into that thought process? How many from the stretch? How many from the windup? Like, do you get where I'm going with this? Obviously, our goal is just to make sure that Kyle is going out there and having professional innings and being efficient with his pitches. I mean, that's and, and that's probably how it started off. But I did, I can, I've asked Kapler about that in the past, and he always talks about how you know the the, the previous start and that pitch count kind of determines where they go in the next one. Nothing's ever set in stone. Yeah. Uh, my guess is you would get a very long three and a half minute answer with you know about seventeen total seconds of useful information there. Um, but again, it's like we knew that they were going to baby Kyle Harrison. You know, we 
I think earlier this year, Farhan kind of talked about how we're, they're going to bring Harrison up very similar to how the Dodgers brought up Julio Urias. And it felt like Julio Urias was like forever, like two, three years away from getting that full workload. Like her Urias was brought to the roster. But it was like two, three years before he was actually like getting sustainable innings. And I do understand the concept of limiting innings. Um, I, I didn't write this down, but I just did a quick dive. Shasta, did you know that in the before his age from his when he debuted to his age 24 season, Justin Verlander averaged like 160 innings per season, whereas guys like Madison Bumgarner, Matt Cain, Tim Lincecum, before their age 24 season, they were averaging like 180 innings uh, per wow. season. But then after that age 24 season, Verlander really started to ramp it up. That's when he started becoming that 200 inning guy. And that's why he's one of the best pitchers today. You look at Lincecum, wow. Kane, and Bumgarner, what that. were they doing at age 32? You know, their, their arms were essentially shot. So if you want to kind of limit the innings limit now because you're trying to extend his career further down the line, I get that. And what the Giants are doing with Harrison, I feel like that's kind of the, the plan that they're trying to go with there is he's 21 years old. You're 22 years old. He doesn't need to be hitting, you know, 200 inning paces just yet. Honestly, when he's wait till he's like 24, 25, even 26 before you get him on that 180, 200 inning pace. Right now, I'm okay with just, you know what? I want I want to see Kyle Harrison have a 17 year career, and you don't need to have that entire career in the first two seasons. No, I, I hear you. I, yeah. I'm with you on that one. There, there's no doubt about it. It's just you got to build this thing up a little. Like you can't go yeah. hitting the 300 pound benchmark um, if you don't work your way up. And so work your way up to 275 before yeah. you go trying to lift. And 300. I and I think that's what they're doing with Harrison. It's just I think it's going a little bit slower than we're used to. But again. What we've seen done in the past led to those pitchers' arms kind of falling apart in their 30s, and I think the goal is to make sure that doesn't happen with Harrison. Really quick okay. before we get out of here, I want to have a quick Logan Webb conversation. Uh, it's been kind of rough here, rough going here in the second half. He's got a, a 4.79 ERA in his last seven starts, 4.47 here in the second half after a 3.14 ERA in the first half. I challenged Logan Webb at the beginning of this month to really kind of carry this team. Didn't really work out that way. Uh, that being said, Shasky, I mean, he did sign that big deal at the start of the year. I think he still pitched very well this year. I think he's going to get some Cy Young votes at the end of the year. Not in like, he's not going to be in contention to win the award. He's not going to be in the final three, but when you go on the baseball reference page and look at the 2023 Cy Young votes, he'll probably be getting like one or two third or fourth place votes or something like that. Would you say that Logan Webb has kind of signing this deal? Do you feel like he's kind of lived up to the deal so far? Yes. Because to me, he's one of the few guys in the ro he's the only guy in the rotation I trust to give me six every single time. And yeah. when he doesn't pitch well, I'm surprised. So he really is. I think he's been a stud. He really is. It was crazy. So he's gone his last two starts have gone against Spencer Strider. And you brought this up in our text thread. Him and Strider's numbers, aside from the strikeouts, aren't really that different. Uh, crazy, ERA, you know, Webb's got the 351 to Strider's 346. Webb obviously leads the league in innings. Uh, their whip, very similar. Uh, Webb's got the 1.1 to uh, Strider's 1.06. Uh, Webb walks guys less. His FIP's a little bit higher because he's kind of had that issue with the home runs. Uh, the, the opponent batting average is a little bit higher for Webb, 248 to 204 for Strider. But again, ground ball pitcher, you're going to be getting more contact there versus Strider being a strikeout pitcher. Overall, though, their numbers aren't that crazy. I think Strider is no. going to be a front runner for the Cy Young, though, uh, whereas Webb, again, just kind of outside that top tier. Here's the, the, the Strider-Webb comparison that blows my mind the most. Uh, when they've gotten two runs support or less, Logan Webb, that's happened to him 11 times. He's gotten two or less runs of support. Strider's only had two games where he's had two or less runs of support. Wow. Uh, three to five wow. runs with, with getting three to five runs of support. Webb, it's happened to him 12 times. He's five and two in those games. 
It's happened 10 times for Strider. He's 6-1. Six, six or more runs of support, Shasky. It's only happened four times for Logan Webb. He's 3-0 and in those starts. 14 times for Spencer Strider. Wow. Times his offense well, given six or more runs of support. I mean, he's got one of the one of the great lineups behind him. But he's got be, if Logan Webb was on the Braves, I mean, how much better wins. are his numbers looking? 15 so, wins, right? Yeah, probably. He's he's probably also, I mean, if Strider and Webb across atop that Braves rotation, the Braves would look more unbeatable than they do right now. So I'm still very bullish on Logan Webb. I still think that him and hopefully Kyle Harrison will make a great one-two punch atop this rotation. But yeah, I'm with you. I think so far he is living up to the deal. And he is he's a very easy guy to root for, a local guy. The fans really love him. Sets the tone with his play every day. I am shocked when he doesn't perform. I am, I'm still high on Logan Webb's future, though. I am too. I think he's been an absolute stud. And I'm like, if they can get one other guy like Logan Webb, now we're cooking with oil. Yeah. And again, hopefully they just use them correctly because that's how we get into the mess that we are in right now. So this has been episode 73 of the Garlic Fries and Baseball Guys podcast, the episode where I officially decided I'm not in on Farhan anymore. So Mark Willard, it's up to you. You have to defend Farhan now. You're all alone in that. Uh, Anyway, for Sam Lumman here with Joe Shasky, we will catch you on the next one.